0: Welcome to it. Yeah, we are set to go. We hope you are as well. Employment Law Show is uh, is ready. Scholes here and alongside Chris Justice, uh, courtesy Sanfiru to and LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Chris is here as well. He does all the heavy lifting. I just kind of sit here and talk. He's got the knowledge. So when you make that phone call, he is answering your questions. So bring it on. Don't be bashful The uh, basic topic, well, one of uh, a couple topics today in between the emails, will be probationary periods and termination rights. We'll uh, machete our way through that, but first, pal, we got a couple things to get through with the week that was. You got a couple things you want to chat about, Chris. What's going on, pal?
1: Yeah, so I had a couple calls not too long ago uh, from some people, and uh, the first one came from a gentleman who had called me up and told me that he had been let go due to performance related reasons and the company had told this guy that his performance essentially was not good enough and that they were letting him go for just cause as a result now usually when i talk to people about them being let go for just cause due to performance issues more often than not there in fact is no cause there there may there may not be performance issues but it's very hard in general for employers to allege or certainly um, sort of justify a cause dismissal for performance issues. So um, this this guy uh, actually thought that this was nonsense, that there was no cause, and it ended up that he was correct. Uh, There had been no progressive disciplinary structure put in place. Uh, The expectations set on him were actually unrealistic, and there had been no real opportunity for him to even improve on any of these alleged concerns. So uh... this is a common pitfall that i think a lot of employers fall into where they sort of jump the gun they terminate someone for just cause um, but they don't really do all their due diligence and and the correct procedure in, in coming to that decision so as i say it, it was nonsense there was no cause they were definitely wrong to let him go and he was definitely deserving of a substantial severance package um, however before he came to me or before he he spoke with me on the phone He ended up filing a complaint with the Ministry of Labor uh, because somebody, one of his friends, had told him, hey, contact the Ministry. These are the guys that deal with severance and your rights under the Employment Standards Act. Mm -hmm. And so not knowing too much about it, thinking it was the right decision, he calls up the Ministry of Labor. Ministry of Labor actually agrees with him, says that his company did not have cause to terminate him. Uh, as he and I had come to that conclusion, and that the company was ordered to pay this person severance. But the Ministry of Labor can only deal with someone's bare minimum entitlements under the legislation in terms of severance, and so this guy ended up getting eight weeks of severance. Um, eventually he came to me, as I say, after he had this call with the Ministry of Labor, and we clarified the cause allegations w- was bogus, um, but the fact that he had already by then filed a complaint with the Ministry of Labor meant that he had given up his right in this particular case to pursue any more severance or his full common law severance rights. And unfortunately for this guy, uh, you know, his full common law severance rights were near 16 months. Oh, and, man. Oh. And not just eight weeks. So, yeah, it was a real... Uh, heartbreaker to have to tell this guy what the situation was, but this is definitely an example of a situation that um, happens too often, um, but you know, it's definitely something people need to be aware of before they call the Ministry of Labor, before they file a complaint um, for their severance. You want to talk to a lawyer because, as I say, eight weeks was just a small fraction of what his full common law severance rights were.
0: Man, he's going to be kicking his own butt for
1: for years, uh,
0: years to come. That's why, man, don't listen to your neighbor, your buddy Steve. Yeah, yeah, call here. No, no, call a lawyer. Call, but, you know, you're not going to your friend for a uh, hip replacement either, right? You're going to go see doctor and you know proper medical staff for that sort of thing. So you should always have the same mindset when it comes to uh, employment law for sure. By the way, reaching out to Chris anytime, guys, guys. Um, you know, after the show or in any time during the week, of course, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred or help at employmentlawyer.com. Okay. What's the other? What's the second thing you want to talk about, Paul? Well,
1: actually, just before that, I, I will say that when it comes to individuals filing complaints with the Ministry of Labor, there is a short window that you have. I think it's a couple of weeks uh, that you can sort of withdraw the complaint. But certainly, once the complaint's processed, once the Ministry of Labor has reached a determination, uh, you're, you're pretty much unable to go back. And and while you can file complaints for things like vacation pay, overtime, that kind of stuff. When it specifically comes to severance in this context, you just got to be super aware of, of what the right. possibilities are, what your rights are, what your options are. So like you say, absolutely call a lawyer uh, before doing any of that. And in general, really, if you're if you're in a legal situation or an issue with your employer, it's always good to speak to a lawyer first before you start communicating or saying this or saying that and not having any idea how it might affect your case. But, um, yeah, that brings me to another call that I got uh, not too long ago from somebody else who was diagnosed with a serious medical condition, pretty grave, but luckily for this person, uh, there was treatment for the condition. Mm -hmm. Um, The the individual had to see a specialist for about two, three months, uh, but he had to see the specialist on a fairly regular basis, about three times a week or so. And it wasn't uh, a set sort of time each time. Uh, sometimes he would have to go a little bit earlier in the day, other times a little bit later. But the hope, of course, was that this treatment would make him feel better. So he tells his employer, this is the situation, I need some accommodation, this is why. Um, there's going to be sometimes over this two, three month period that I come into work a little bit later than, than normal, uh, or have to maybe leave a little bit earlier than normal. Um, but he was essentially asking his employer just to be a bit flexible and that he would otherwise do his job as he had been to the best of his abilities. So, again, a lot of times when an employer is faced with a situation, unfortunately the response is, you know, we don't want to deal with this. We're having a hard time dealing with this. We don't really want to accommodate you. This is a real inconvenience to us. Maybe it's not a huge burden, but it's just kind of, you know, uh, rubbing them the wrong way. And and that's actually what the employer had told this gentleman in this case was we have a hard time with this. You should be doing this on your own time, not on company time. And we don't want to pay you if you're going to be leaving early or coming in a bit later. Um, but this was the only thing that the employee could work with when it came to him and a specialist. So, despite what his employer said, despite the concerns his employer had relayed, he continued to see the specialist to get that treatment. And you know, forget two, three months. After just three weeks, the employer had said that this just isn't working out for us. This is too much, as I say, of an inconvenience to us. So we're going to have to let you go. So he calls me up not too long after this all happens and says, "Hey, Chris." I've been with this company for 10 years, I think I deserve better given what's happened, and of course he was right. You know, the employer can't generally say, oh, this is too much for us, we just don't want to accommodate you anymore, unless they really show undue hardship and and show that they've pretty much done everything they can within reason. But in this case, they fell way short of that. It's not them who decided or decides who uh, gets accommodated or not or what the obligations are, it's the law. Uh, So if you're an employee like this guy is or was, um, and you've got accommodation issues, your employer absolutely has to accommodate, you know, whether it's maybe having you work from home, reduce your hours, there's a whole number of different types of accommodations depending on what the situation is. But in this guy's case, it's not only just a situation of I'm owed severance now, uh, but also a potential, or not even a potential, an actual human rights violation because, if it weren't for the fact that he had encountered these difficulties when it came to his condition none of this would have happened and so but for that he, he would still likely have a job and that's where this employer got into a lot of hot water when it came to as I say not just the severance rights but the human rights uh, damages as well.
0: Uh, Dave first up pal how are you? Good how are you doing? Good what's on your mind?
1: <clears throat> uh, just, I
2: worked for a company for 17 years I've been a top producer in sales I'm off to a slow start this year, and I had a monthly meeting with my manager at the beginning of the month, and they were questioning me. That Her opinion was, it looks like I am quietly quitting.
1: <clears throat>
2: uh, should I be concerned about that statement?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, and uh, the, the phrase quietly quitting or, or quiet quitting is something that's come up uh, recently, and actually I've spoken about it before, but essentially what it refers to is an employee who, I guess, apparently is doing the absolute bare minimum they have to do uh, in order to get through with their job or perform their duties, that they're not necessarily going at all above and beyond the scope of their duties and, as I say, they're just doing the bare minimums. And sometimes employers will look at this and think, well, you're not really being a team player. Um, I know this may not be part of your job, but we need you to help us out in the meantime or temporary or whatnot. At the end of the day, if you've got a job and you're doing the duties and responsibilities of that job and you're doing them efficiently, then that's all that's at the very least expected of you. Now, having said that, can your employer let you go because they just don't think you're the, the team player, quote unquote, that they want you to be? Uh, that's absolutely possible. But if they do do that or entertain something like that, you are going to be entitled to your full severance. This is not going to be a situation where the employer is going to be able to say, oh, you're not going above and beyond the call of duty, and therefore we're going to let you go for cause, especially, as you said, being a 17 year employee. Um, so without maybe having a bit more specifics from you in terms of why exactly your employer is saying you're supposedly quietly quitting. Uh, That would be my general comments to you. So if something does come down the pipeline in that uh, respect, then you definitely want to give us a call, certainly before signing any kind of a severance package or anything given how long you've been there. And, and knowing how little employers often offer people when it comes to severance.
0: Thanks. And uh, Dave, appreciate that. You want to reach out afterwards, you can. It's one 821 5900 To get a hold of Chris, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Lynn, don't go anywhere. You are coming up next after a short break. Employment Law Show, stand by. And we are back at it. So Chris and his team, always ready to have a chat with you uh, when we're not doing this particular show. one 855 821 250-900. The email would be help at employmentlawyer.ca, but uh, waiting patiently, she has been, so we'll get to uh, to Lynn. Hi, Lynn. Good morning. How are you?
2: Good morning. Thanks for taking my call.
0: Oh, there you are. Lynn, what's up?
2: Yeah. Uh, okay. I've got a, a friend who's not very computer literate or anything. He's a mechanic at a small shop, only two mechanics in this shop. He was verbally informed about three weeks ago that the shop would be closing at the end of April going out of business, uh, is he entitled to any sort of severance? He's been there for 33 years.
1: Yes, he, he absolutely could be entitled to severance. A lot of times businesses close for a variety of reasons um, but that doesn't mean that just because of that somebody is out of luck when it comes to their severance and especially given 33 years in, it would be an absolute shame to think that this person would get nothing on the way out. Um, sometimes employers do offer notice ahead of time, as you mentioned, I think three weeks of notice or thereabouts was given to let this person know uh, your days with the company are, are coming to an end, but that isn't going to generally satisfy the business's full obligations towards that employee in terms of severance. Now, there are some limited situations where the business may be closing or, or uh, as a result of insolvency issues or filing for bankruptcy, and that could potentially throw a wrench into things. Right. But um, most of the time, um, if there's money or assets, then, then uh, something absolutely can be pursued. So yeah. I would tell yeah, this, uh, this friend of yours to are, give us a call.
2: Yeah, the owners are just retiring. That's, for, that's the reason they're closing
1: yeah exactly so as i say there are a number of situations where businesses can close or or shut up shop and and not necessarily mean that there's there's no money there so yeah definitely have this person give us a shout three weeks is absolutely not sufficient whatsoever for a 33 year employee and this person could get upwards of two years of severance given how long they were working there and depending on i guess if and when they find work afterwards but you want to start with giving us a call and and we can definitely take it from there
2: yeah, probably at his age, he's not going to find work elsewhere, not in the mechanic field, anyways.
1: Okay. Well, right, yeah, and that's another, call. and that's another factor. Yeah, no, thanks again. I was just going to say, uh, age is another factor that the courts and the law looks at when deciding how much severance somebody should get. So, if you've got somebody who has lost their job and they're in their, let's say, their fifties or sixties. They're typically going to get a greater severance package, all else being the same, than someone who might be in their 30s or 40s. So again, yeah. just another reason why it's beneficial to give us a shout because we want to make sure uh, this person's rights are protected and that full severance is is achieved.
0: Appreciate the call in. Here is that number to reach out and talk to Chris later, which I know you're going to do. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's the email address. We get Jack on the line here. Hey, Jack, how are you? Jack. Hi, there he is. Good, pal. What's going on?
2: Okay, so uh, I'm the age category of 68 to 69. I've been working for the same company for like 22 years. Uh, my wife had a heart attack in the uh, year 2021. Um, I've been off since her on sick leave from that time because I didn't want to be too far from home. I'm a truck driver. Anyway, so the thing is, I had uh, the company called me back, whenever my wife had that recurrence. And probably a while while later, I a second return. So I asked for more time off work, and they said, no problem. I'm not getting paid for any of my time off because I'm on sick leave. I haven't collected anything from unemployment or anything. Um, They told me uh, I can retire if I want. I said, I'm not ready to retire, and if I do, am I entitled to anything? And they said, no, you are not entitled to anything, no severance or anything. So i am kind of of 22
1: years and they're not going to give me nothing. Yeah, you, you want to be careful when it comes to the idea of retirement um, or resignation because yeah in most cases if somebody retires or just simply voluntarily leaves the employment uh, there is a good chance that they may get nothing in terms of severance. And I think you mentioned uh, you'd been there for 22 years, so yes. uh, that would be, again, giving up potentially significant amounts of money. But, uh, Jack, you said I just want to clarify one thing. You said you were absent on a sick leave, and how long have you been off in total on the sick leave? November of
2: 2021.
1: November of 21, okay. So anytime an employee needs to go off on a sick leave, and I'm assuming you've got the support of your doctors or treatment providers to, to kind of go off or remain off on this leave, the employer is obligated, I was speaking to this just a second ago, mm-hmm. uh, the employer is obligated to accommodate your disability uh, to the best it can, within reason. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that an employer needs to keep your job open for 20 years while you get better it's going to depend on how long you've been off it's going to depend on what your prognosis is so in other words even though you may have been off since 2021 is there a chance that you could come back or a chance that you could return to performing the duties that you were because I think if your doctors are saying that you might be able to return in a not too distant future even though it has been one or two years since you've been off your employer may arguably still have to accommodate you and have you remain on leave until you're able to come back. So I would definitely give us a call before communicating anything to them about retirement or resignation or anything at all, because there's a good chance that your employer will have to pay you severance, at the very least your bare minimum severance entitlements, if not your full severance entitlements, uh, assuming you don't go back to work, which again, given you there for 22 years, you, you could be looking at a significant amount of money. So just be careful of how exactly you communicate and what you say to your employer and, and get some legal advice before doing that so that you're best protected moving forward.
2: Yeah, they haven't even called me back. They called me once after my wife was sick and then uh, after that they've never called back. So I'm getting yeah, you, you, you want to make...
1: Copy. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, sorry. You just you want to make sure there's also some degree of communication between you and your employer, and there's not, for example, several months there's without anything, because then they may assume that you're not coming back, which may be completely wrong. But you also want to, to some extent, keep somewhat regular communication, just to let them know that you know maybe you're still off and nothing has changed, or maybe you're you're set to meet a doctor and you'll give them an update in you know a certain period of time or whatnot. But again, these are all just uh, other reasons why it's good to get some legal advice so that you know going forward the best way to approach your situation. Cool.
2: All right. So, who, okay. who would I get the advice from, then?
0: I'm going to give you the uh, the number right now, Jack. You're going to call this and uh, go forth, man. It's one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. You got a pen? It's okay. I give it yeah, out for anyway. the rest of the hour anyway. You yeah, got hold it. On a yeah, man. No worries. There you go. Uh, yeah. one 821 5900 Again, one 821 5900 And you can uh, email simply as well, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Thanks, pal. Appreciate you uh, tuning in and jotting that down. Aisha, how are you this morning? How are you? Hi, morning? Hey. Good. good. What's up with you?
3: Um, I was just wondering because like I've been put on accommodations and stuff like I've been put on a leave just so that they could figure out the accommodations. And it's been like seven, like six, seven months now. And I am not sure why it's like taking so long. Like I, you know, I don't know if this is like right for them to put me on for so long. And I'm just like waiting and waiting for their third party doctor. I was like, why don't you just ask my doctor? My doctor already has accommodations that she thinks will work, and right. then I can go back to work.
1: No, it's it's a good question. It's a good uh, it's a situation a lot of people find themselves in. I, I think you raise a good point. If you've got your own doctor, treatment providers setting out a very clear idea of how to accommodate you, or maybe how to put in place a gradual return to work plan. Your employer is going to be obligated to, of course, review that information and and at all times really act reasonably. So if there's clear direction being given from your doctor or doctors who know you probably a lot better than some independent doctor that this company may hire or have on its payroll, uh, then they have to be seriously considering what those recommendations are, especially in the situation you're in which you're kind of in this limbo state where uh, I take it you're not really receiving any money, they're taking their sweet time and figuring out what to do, who knows if it's in good faith or not. Um, but yeah. again, you're kind of without pay for six, seven months going on and, and you know no end in sight. Um, you know, when an employer stops paying you, uh, there are situations where that on its own can trigger termination rights and severance rights because they've breached their duty or their contract with you to be paid or maybe to provide sick leave or assess your condition reasonably as an employer should. So I think there's a lot of issues that this employer is, um, potentially getting themselves into, uh, which could be beneficial for you. But I also think this is a situation where, given the amount of time that's passed, something needs yeah. to be done, some action needs to be taken. And uh, again, I would recommend you give us a shout, because it may need uh, having us to kind of give them a little push or put their feet to the fire to, to get a decision out there, rather than, again, waiting you, uh, making you wait in limbo indefinitely.
3: No, so they're they're paying me at eighty percent, right? Okay. Um, and then right now, like I just bought a condo, so my mortgage is going to like kick in, and now there's like <clears> thinking <throat> to put me on long term leave, and I'm right. just like, you know, I like my a hundred percent salary rate. Like this is like it's going to go down to seventy five percent. It's going to cut it close, and I'm just like, this is ridiculous. They, yeah. Like, and- asked their third party doctor asked my doctor to. Provide the medical records. They didn't ask for recommendations, um, and because she's not a specialist in PTSD, she's just a she's a general family doctor, right? And they're like, "No, we need like a psychiatrist or whatever to like look at this." And I'm like, "Yeah." I'm like, y- "You're not doing a short term leave. You're doing like a disability claim. You're doing accommodations." They already are. Um, They already got in trouble with the union um, for for, um, human rights concerns. So that's why they don't do short-term leave.
1: Yeah, and again, this goes back to what I was saying at the outset of the show, which goes to an employer's duty to accommodate you. And if an employer thinks well, she can only do 98% of her job, not 100%, and we want that extra 2%, and until she can do it, we're not having her come back, and we'll just pay her or have her get paid 75% or whatever it is of her wages, that's not necessarily a good thing for the employer to do. And and it may be an inconvenience to them, but it doesn't necessarily give them the automatic right just to say, until you meet our standard of what we want, we're not going to have you come back in. You know Whether you're getting paid something or not, like you say, you want to work, you want to earn your full wages, and so I think the longer this goes on, um, it's problematic from from the employer's perspective. So, it seems to me like something needs to be done, and um, absolutely give us a call and we'll do everything we can to help you out with your situation. Okay. But this is also another example of where employers try to get as much medical information as possible from an employee. And you you don't necessarily have to give them a whole lot of information. Of course, the employer and their doctors are going to want every piece of information uh, that you have and go back several years into your medical records and get this and get that but they're not, they're not um, uh, entitled to that. You know, They're entitled to certain information, the absolute bare minimum that's needed to accommodate and give a sense of maybe what the prognosis is of the condition, but beyond that, a lot of employers I find go too far, hoping to maybe find something oh, so that they can later deny that person what they're deserving of.
3: Yeah, they went way too far. I'm like, this is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, yeah all, all the more yeah. reason to give us a shout.
0: And with that, we'll take a short break and get to more of your phone calls. In the meantime, to reach out to Chris after the show and his team after the show. No problem. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. But we continue. This is the Employment Law Show. Hang on. Already Back at it. Beyond the hour of this show, you can always reach out to Chris Justice and his team. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Email address, that is. Phone number, 1-855-821-5900. For more of a you know lengthy, private conversation on your own. And there's also the website you should be using even before that phone call. Tons of information to be learned at uh, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Free anonymous plus access to the severance calculator while you're on that website as well, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Okay, as we get some more calls uh, ready to go here, Chris, get into our main topic, probationary periods and termination rights. What does it mean? Uh, This is a broad topic, but we'll get to a few of these. What does it mean actually to be on probation?
1: Yeah, so it essentially just means there's going to be that period of time, that time frame where yourself and the company can sort of both assess how you fit within the company uh, to see if you are the right fit moving forward, sort of an evaluation period um, before a lot of companies then decide to put an employee on benefits or provide maybe some some more fulsome perks of the job. Uh, And there's nothing really wrong with this per se the, the idea or the, the, the notion of probationary periods mm-hmm. but there are also a number of misconceptions uh, and, and some misinformation that I'm hoping we can clarify today
0: and one of those I think the main one and, and the things <coughs> that people believe is that they're automatic every job you go to right away you're on you're on probation right?
1: yeah and it is a very very common thing um but it is not uh automatic um the the probationary period as as much as people may think it just applies automatically it's just a given for a little while there there's this period of time that's just not the case the probationary period itself at least in terms of the legal side of things is concerned needs to be created by a contract Uh, so if you didn't sign any contract then you're you new know, your employer may still want to assess the fit and whatnot but there's not going to be this you know quote-unquote probationary period in effect or maybe you sign a contract but it doesn't mention anything about probation uh, that's essentially the same thing so if there is no period mentioned or no contract signed and you are let go whether it's within the first three months or three days or three weeks you're going to have your your full severance rights uh, in, in that event, and your employer is not going to be able to say, "Well, you know, we let you go in such a short amount of time; we're now absolved from any any liability or exposure or anything like that."
0: Yeah, you mentioned that uh, that number three months in there, and I mean, generally when you ask somebody about probation, that number you know just automatically pops up in their head. Oh, yeah, I'm on a three month probation. Mm-hmm. Is there a time limit to it?
1: Um, so, there, I guess if the goal of the probationary period is to give the company uh, the time to or, or the ability to let somebody go without having to give severance, mm-hmm. the probationary period itself can only be three months. And that's sort of in relation to the Employment Standards Act in Ontario, which specifies this, this period of time, but if it goes any longer than three months, Regardless of whether or not the employer wants to keep you on a probationary period or or keep you in something like that They're they're gonna have to to let you go if they're gonna do so with compensation and of course assuming you haven't committed any willful act of misconduct um, But it wouldn't really matter at that point if the contract says this is your new probationary period or we're extending it If it goes past that three-month time frame regardless uh, They're gonna have to provide you with severance
0: so yeah, I mean, three months they they can contract themselves out of severance up to three months. So they say now we're going to do another three. Yeah, as a practical matter, fine. But it makes no difference. Right. You're still going to have to pay me severance at the end of the sixth sixth month if we uh, part ways. Is basically what you're saying, right? right
1: yeah, yeah exactly. So it may be common to see someone being placed on a three month probationary period and then have that extended another three months. Or maybe sometimes there's there's reference to a probationary period that is from the outset six months long mm-hmm. uh, or some kind of contract specifying that. But again, regardless of it, as you as you get past that three month barrier, you're going to be owed severance. So, an employer can tell an employee that they want more time to evaluate, that's, that's fine, that's nice if you want to give them a bit of heads up or a bit of notice, but employers shouldn't think that by extending this quote-unquote probationary period that somehow gives them the right to avoid paying severance to, to someone who's worked more than that three-month time frame.
0: Is there a time or a situation where someone should at least try to refuse that probationary period and that provision?
1: Yeah, I would say there's probably two main situations or scenarios where somebody should seriously consider refusing this provision. Um, One is if you're an employee, let's say you have a job, it's a very secure position, you're not necessarily looking to leave, Um, you've been there for quite a while, but then someone comes to you and says, "Hey, why don't you come join our company?" How about get headhunted? With you with your yeah, exactly. Yeah. A recruiter comes in, headhunter comes in. We really like you. Um, you know, he, you know. Maybe they sweeten the pot by offering all these incentives and promises, etc. And you're kind of on the fence. But then you look at this contract or this offer that's put your way by this the second company, and you notice there's this probationary period clause you know, it's, it's probably going to be a bad idea in this particular situation to agree or sign off on that clause when you've got this stable job that you may not necessarily be thinking of leaving. Because if you do leave that job, sign a contract, it's got a probationary period clause in it, and then you're let go for whatever reason within that, say, three-month time frame, mm-hmm. then you're kind of left in the lurch now, and you, you kind of drop the ball, in, in a sense, in terms of you've given up your secure job which may have had you know much more beneficial severance rights attached to it only to join this other job and you know get get let go and and not given anything which would be absolutely terrible so that's definitely one scenario where i would say employees should consider um, whether they really should be signing off on something like this Um, another situation would be if you are already working for a company Um, and they come to you sort of mid-duration and say, hey, we want to put you on a probationary period, (laughs) or put you on some sort of probation, which, to be fair, I don't see a ton of, which is great because it is an absolute problem. It would be nonsensical for an employer to do this. Uh, That's not how probationary periods work. Maybe sometimes what the employer is referring to is not probation, but we're going to put you on a performance improvement plan, Mm -hmm. um, like a PIP, which can be allowed but also employers need to know that there has to be good reason to do this too. You can't just be putting somebody on probation or on a pip uh, right. for, for reasons that may, may not sort of add up because that alone could trigger a constructive dismissal. And now as an employer, just by doing that, imposing something like that on the employee, um, you could be in effect terminating them and, and exposing yourself to having to pay a whole whack of severance rights and, and, and severance payments and all that kind of stuff. So. If, if either one of these scenarios is, is what applies to you, um, definitely before agreeing or signing off on anything, whether it's going into a job or midway through, you want to give, uh, give a lawyer a call so you can talk about it and go through all of your things.
0: Good stuff, man. We'll take one more short break and get right back into it. We continue more of the Employment Law Show
1: right after this.
0: And we're back at it. I want to slide over this uh, conversation and and some questions, Chris, because I know we get this usually every show at least once or twice, and that is someone in construction will Mm -hmm. call in and talk about, you know, not getting paid for anything. So uh, construction employees and severance, basically, right? What in non-union, what is a construction employee?
1: yeah it is it is something like you say that uh, comes up a lot, uh, especially in my my side of things. I get a lot of questions from construction workers and from construction companies about the workers' rights to severance. And I think the confusion uh, oftentimes comes from the fact that an employee's rights, you know whether you're a construction employee or not, um, is in, can be governed by both the legislation, so in Ontario you've got the Employment Standards Act, but also the common law, which is judge-made law that's been essentially created over decades of legal decisions. And so, as I say, employers and employees alike are often confused or misinformed when it comes to this because there are um, sort of aspects of the legislation, the Ontario Employment Standards Act, that speak to a construction employee potentially not getting severance in certain circumstances. Um, but then you've got the common law, which is saying that, well, hold up a minute, actually construction employees um, are or can be entitled to severance. So the, the Employment Standards Act, the legislation, defines a construction employee as essentially someone who works on or off-site in a business that's engaged in you know constructing, altering, decorating, repairing demolishing buildings, that sort of thing, or maybe structures or roads or bridges, tunnels, etc. So it's a pretty broad definition in terms of what a construction employee is or can be, but I think you've got to delve a bit deeper whether you're an employer or an employee when it comes to actually figuring out is this particular construction employee, maybe not generally, but this person, are they entitled uh, to severance or not?
0: And that is another common question you'll get from from folks in that business is, can I be terminated without severance being a construction employee?
1: Yeah, and so there are, I will say, a limited uh, number of circumstances where this could be the case, but I would also say that the vast majority otherwise are gonna be situations where somebody is entitled to severance. So when it comes to construction employees and specifically common law entitlements, the same rules generally apply When it comes to severance so employers may be surprised to hear this but these people these these construction workers uh not only have severance rights but they likely have the same severance rights as any other employee and they shouldn't be assuming otherwise so if you're in a situation like this as an employee definitely don't want to assume you're dead to rights even if your employer is saying this or that about why they don't think they should have to pay you you want to get some legal advice before going further
0: factors uh, considered for severance pay
1: what do you think yeah so as i mentioned you've got the employments legislation um, but that's not the only factor the common law is going to factor in part of the reason why there's there's some aspects of the law that say construction workers may not have the same entitlement to severance has to do with the nature of construction work itself so in a lot of construction circumstances or the industry in general um, a, a lot of employees' work is irregular. It's maybe uh, seasonal. Um, there's often a lot of layoffs. You know, in, in construction industry, so it's a little bit different than normally. But if you're, uh, say, a construction worker who works, you know, consistently throughout the year on a regular basis, you don't go through these layoffs then you're more likely going to be seen as sort of a a, a quote-unquote normal employee and those full severance uh, entitlements are going to kick in. So I think other factors would consider, you know, is it sort of transient employment? Is it kind of piecemeal here and there? Is it regular? Um, have other employees in this company have been paid severance uh, right. in similar situations? But I think it's just all the more reason why you've got to get the legal advice, because it's only going to be someone who's got that knowledge in that sector to kind of give you your, your full options and, and make you aware of all of this.
0: Is the calculation made the same way? Another question you'll get from construction folks.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like I say, um, for the most part, your severance rights as a construction worker are going to be assessed in the in the very same way as, as any other employee. So you're looking at things like how long you have been have you been working there, how old you are. We mentioned earlier on the show that age can be a factor in terms of how much someone gets. You know, what your position actually is, you know, how much money you're making, and how long it may take you to find another job. Uh, because that's what severance in, in many ways is connected to, is to hopefully tied the person over if they've been let go until they're able to find comparable employment. And of course, as always, uh, to the extent there's a contract or anything you may have signed, that would be another uh, document to look at to see if there's any reference to termination or, or what occurs in the event of a termination.
0: I want to get to a quick email from steven it says guys i was a senior manager for a company but i was let go from uh, from my company after just 10 months 62 years old and was making about 85 grand a year i did not receive any advance warning or severance am i owed anything
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely a lot of people uh, come to me saying chris i've only been at a company for 10 months like steven or i've only been here for you know four months maybe i just yep. passed my quote-unquote probationary period Um, and I'm let go it seems like the employment standards is saying I'm owed a week of pay at most is this all or or whatnot and I usually say absolutely you you're looking at way more than just a week a lot of people are misinformed to think that because they have a relatively short amount of time with a company less than a year a year two years that they might only get a week or two or three of severance when in fact someone like Stephen senior manager 85 grand, 62 years of age. I mean, he could be looking at six months easy in terms of severance, depending on his situation. So um, short-term service employees get disproportionately larger severance packages for the most part than longer service employees. And I think it's just another reason why Stephen needs to give us a call and and so we can make sure his rights are, are properly considered and factored in.
0: Hey, great way to leave it for today. Appreciate that. Chris Justice is your guy moving forward, Dan. Write this number down one more time to reach out on your own time. one 821 5900 is how you do that. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And always go to that website, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. We'll catch you next time right here on the Employment Law Show. Enjoy your weekend.